Good morning, everyone. My friends, we are in, still in the octave of Easter. Uh, it will end this evening with uh, the Liturgy of the Hours, with evening prayer. And then we will move into Eastertide, and that will uh, continue uh, until Pentecost. My friends, um, John's Gospel, um, uh, John is very concerned that we understand who Jesus is, why he came, why everything had to happen the way he said it was, uh, going to happen, and that you will believe this. And your belief uh, in the early days will be based upon the testimony of his disciples, on his apostles. In our first reading, we hear some of the workings of those first days in which uh, many who were sick came to be healed, and uh, apparently there was suffering in his time. Uh, we get another glimpse of this in the second reading as the beloved one, John, uh, says, remember, I suffered with you all these things. And then he goes on to talk about heaven. I was in heaven and saw, and then he went on to carry on uh, what uh, he saw for us. And his testimony holds true. Well, my friends, um, certainly there is many things going on in our, in our gospel. Uh, but because of the theme, there's a theme of suffering but healing, uh, in our first reading, John speaks about the suffering they encountered uh, because of Christ. Um, my friends, um, last night I told the folks that in Jerusalem uh, there seems to be no peace ever. Uh, and it's unlikely that there will be lasting peace until Christ himself returns. Um, in Jerusalem in particular, uh, uh, last week, uh, the Orthodox Church and the, uh, not all of them, uh, some of them, the ones who adhere to the Gregorian calendar, uh, they were assembling to what they call holy fire, but we know it as um, lucinarium, uh, the service of light. And um, you know, the Catholics, uh, the Greeks, and the others were there, uh, but whatever, something happened and the government said no to them. Uh, you can't do this, and so there was an uproar and arguing, and um, then uh, a few days later, <laughs> the Muslim community, because remember, in Jerusalem, the Abrahamic faiths are there, the Muslims, the Jews, and the Christians, and uh, there was some kind of skirmish, and a fight broke out, and then uh, the Muslims couldn't uh, pray the way they wanted to, and, um, and then, uh, if you don't know, today is Easter for the Orthodox Church. So they celebrated uh, Easter. They are on the Julian calendar. Julian calendar. Well, we're on the Gregorian, so we celebrate with them Easter now, of course, for them. Uh, but they assembled um, to do the Lucinarium, the holy fire, and, and this time it was permitted. Um, so we pray for peace. But I remember all of our brothers and sisters uh, in the Abrahamic faiths who are persecuted uh, for their faith, for believing in God, in particular now for Christians who live in fear every day uh, and who come together to pray and to worship, and they do so at the very risk of their life. And, uh, and yet they do. And uh, where, fear of lock, uh, where fear and locked doors is a way of their life when it comes to the faith. And I, of course, keep in mind now also Eastern and Central Europe, where in particular the Ukrainian people live in fear and hide and, uh, uh, because of, their, of the war. And uh, we offer our prayers for uh, all, and particularly those uh, who suffer such great fear and brutality. 
And I pray that our Lord will come into their midst just as the first ones who were persecuted, his disciples, and strengthen them by saying peace to you and showing his wounds again that testify to his suffering, but also to his resurrection. The wounds of Jesus, for some reason, whatever it is, they help the apostles to identify him. In John's gospel, he shows them, and then they come to realize, they understand. Uh, and I think Jesus does so that they will understand the suffering. Remember, they, didn't, they couldn't get it. They didn't understand. What, what are you talking about? Why are you suffering? Why is someone going to kill you? And uh, I think he's trying to get them to that place again where they understand suffering but, and the resurrection, which he's spoken about often. And uh, it was not a metaphor for him. It was a reality. And the disciples that had accompanied their master from the beginning of his mission uh, and the events of Good Friday, they fell into a deep confusion and even despair when faced with the brutality of what happened on Good Friday to their Messiah, Jesus, our Messiah. And you can understand why they would question, what kind of Savior, what kind of Messiah is he that he would die in that way? And suddenly the words and teaching of Jesus seem incomprehensible to them. And when confronted with such suffering, the disciples today, you and I, often resort to the same type of mentality. What kind of Savior do we have where there's still suffering? Is it meaningless? Is it an error of some type? Have we misunderstood something? Our faith wavers. If God is merciful, how can he allow such things to happen? And this is a typical human response to human suffering. Jesus shows his wounds to us as he did to those first disciples to help us to understand that the cross is not a mistake, that it is a solid teaching by him. The cross becomes a key, if you will. It unlocks the fullness of God's plan. If we toss the key aside, if we refuse to accept it, the meaning of our lives remain incomprehensible because it is in the experience of suffering that we are able to comprehend what he was talking about. Without seeing the transformed wounds in the body of Jesus, suffering re always remains unjustifyingly pointless. Perhaps Thomas was overwhelmed in his mourning when he said to the others, I will not believe, I won't do it. However, after a week, he is with his brothers again, and he is in the upper room with the other ones. The same force that moves Peter to run to the tomb, even though he thought that the testimony of the women were nonsense. That same force keeps Thomas, this time with his brother, apostles, in the upper room. And the, that power, as we understand it, is known as grace, my brothers and sisters, and the risen Lord Jesus, his grace which is at work in his church even until now. Thomas, although he is angry and even combative in the face of suffering, even though he declared that he would not believe, he is at least not indifferent, and he does not try to escape the empty 
that feeling that he has, and he doesn't go to worldly things to look to fill it. Faced with this incomprehensible thing, he presents God with conditions, however. I do not suggest you do the same, but <laughs> he did. Uh, but in doing so, he did not abandon talking to God. He did not turn his back on God and walk away. He fought with him, if you will. If Christ is the Savior, then let him show me his wounds, and then I will touch them, is basically Thomas's argument. Thomas remains with the other apostles, even in his anger and confusion. Perhaps what offended Thomas the most, though, was what likely that what hurt him so much that only touching the master's wounds could heal him was that it was Thomas, of all the apostles, who said, let us go and die with Jesus in Jerusalem. It was Thomas who said this. Of course, when the time came, he ran. So did the others, though. Why then did Jesus' death sow the seed of unbelief in Thomas's heart, even though he himself had determined to die together with Jesus in those earlier days. Thomas's determination to go to Jerusalem was like that of a fellow soldier in arms, having the determination not so much to die as much to die fighting. There's a difference, a subtlety. The question that Thomas is unable to answer is not the death of Jesus, but the way he died. He did not understand the cross that Jesus took and carried humbly. Thomas was correct when during the Last Supper he said to Jesus, Master, I don't know where you are going, so how can I know the way? Thomas really did not know the purpose, fulfilling the Father's will, nor the way of the cross at that time. He did not understand that on Good Friday, Jesus fought the good fight and fought it to the very end. And that he fought it in the only way possible to defeat the enemy by trusting completely in the Father's love and in his plan. What ultimately separated God from man was man's doubt of God's love. Adam doubted that God's instruction was given in absolute love of him and thus decided to act contrary to what God had said. Thus, what reconciled God with man was a perfect trust, Jesus, to the end. In the darkest hours, seemingly totally abandoned while dying on the cross, Jesus says, Father, into your hands I give my spirit. In this way, he defeats Satan and takes away the seeming victory that Satan held. He seemed to achieve this in the Garden of Eden when death came. My friends, what I ask then you this morning to reflect on this, and do we fully understand the great gift then that has been given to us? That gift is the same weapon that Jesus used on the cross to defeat Satan, the unwavering trust in God. We hear the story of Thomas, who doubts, and we should know that the same Jesus who came to heal Thomas's unbelief in the upper room says, Thomas, look at my wounds and know the mystery of the cross. 
I'm taking liberty here. I wasn't in that room, but I'm kind of taking some graces here. But Jesus did say, peace be with you. So I will give you peace, Thomas, but not as the world gives it. That is from Scripture. Not, I'm taking him from different pieces of the Gospels. The peace of the world is to deny the cross and to reject suffering. My peace is to accept the cross and to completely trust in the Father's plan and his mercy and his love. You can almost hear Jesus saying, I have restored the debt that was made. You must trust. You are reconciled now to God. What a great mystery is this reconciliation. The wound of every sin that has ever been committed was crucified in the body of Jesus on that cross. And he has forgiven us for every wound against him. At that moment when the nails pierced the hands of Jesus, he already knew that Thomas's finger would be placed into that womb so that he would not doubt and that Jesus could heal his unbelief. Jesus quietly accepted the nails, did not cry out. And therefore there is no sin now that is not forgiven to anyone who confesses it and is determined to repent. The accuser does not have anyone to accuse anymore because the one who was injured has forgiven all things. And Jesus gives the power of forgiveness to reconcile to his church. We heard it in the scriptures. As the Father gave it to his Son, so Jesus gives it to his church. I think of all the many saints of our church, the ones who said they spoke with Christ and could see him, even with so great a privilege, they would go to the priest and confess their sins because they knew that the priest was entrusted with the very power to forgive sins in Jesus' name. Thomas, although not in the upper room on that first Sunday, stayed with the group of apostles and was rewarded for it, if you will. He saw Jesus' wounds, believed not only in his resurrection, but believed in our Lord's great mercy and his love. Those wounds opened the mystery of God's mercy to him. Therefore, as we celebrate this second Sunday of Easter, also known as Divine Mercy Sunday, direct your eyes to Christ, to his wounds, represented on the corpus, on this crucifix, and with St. Thomas the Apostle, and all who have been hurt and suffer, with those who every day must take up a cross of some type, especially those who are persecuted for believing in him throughout the world. Stand firm. Hear the words of Jesus from the scriptures. Your faith has saved you. My friends, certainly... One of the things of John's gospel is when it comes to confession. Today's gospel uh, talks, for us Roman Catholics in the Orthodox Church, talks about the institution of the sacrament of reconciliation, confession, repentance. John tells us uh, something uh, 
about what happened. And uh, in English, the word is used is breathed. Jesus breathed on them. And um, Jesus gave them power. He shared his power with them. And this is a great power, the power to forgive, because in that is healing. But my friends, uh, for those who don't study the scriptures, Jesus, John records Jesus using a particular word for this. And it happens only one time in the New Testament. But that word is used two times in the Old Testament. And this is where it becomes super important. The first time, the word that is used is ruach, a type of breathing, a type of breathing that recreates or creates and makes new and also gives the power to understand. And um, it's used the first time in Genesis 2, 7, where God breathed, got ruach, into Adam, and Adam then had life. God created Adam, human, and gave him life, and then gave him power over. I give you authority over all. Now name everything. This becomes important. The next time ruach, the word is used, is in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 37.9. And there we are told the four winds come together, and God speaks ruach. And there the bones come to life. They are recreated. They are given power. And that is the literal meaning, but there is a, th a theological reading and symbolism there. Uh, God recreated them. So when Jesus breathes on the apostles, ruah, he recreates them. He makes them powerful in him. Always with him, not on their own, with him. He gave them power. Using John using this word as being deliberate. He knew that they would understand the power to recreate. He recreates his apostles so that they are not scared anymore, but more than that, that they walk in great holiness. And they have the power that he himself, remember God is the one who creates. And in their time, only God could forgive sins. That is one of the reasons why they put Jesus on the cross, because he claimed to be able to do this. So now Jesus, Ruach, and his apostles now have the power to forgive sins. I know this is a stumbling block in the Protestant faith, but it should not be with you. When I hear people, well, I feel that, never mind that. Never mind what you feel. Your feeling is in your gut. If you're going to say that, test your feelings against the scriptures and the teachings of the Holy Fathers and Mothers of the Church. Do they stand up to it? If they don't, toss it. Well, I feel that Jesus said, no, 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 no. People say that when they can't get their way. <laughs> and when people say, well, Father, I think Jesus, no, you're not getting your way and you're having a tantrum right now. Go and pray about it and then come back. They usually come back. I still feel the same way. <laughs> okay. But my friends, so the, that, the use of that word suggests that this power uh, involves a new creation. And it's not just given to them uh, for themselves. It's given to them for us. 
that those who are dead in sin can be recreated. And my friends, this, um, this power of the reconciliation is the, what we understand is to restore sanctifying grace that comes from baptism, which can be lost uh, because of the things we say and do spiritually. So my friends, uh, I, I didn't want to miss that piece. Uh, uh, most of my priest friends said, you better talk about reconciliation. I'm like, you know what? I have Saturday I had close to 30 people in the reconciliation chapel, and my friend, the priest in Seattle, had one. And I said, you need to talk to your people about reconciliation. <laughs> Apparently they don't believe in sin or that it doesn't exist. I haven't heard from them since. <laughs> I'll call them today. <laughs> so, my friends, but um, Nikki, it's good, to, it's good to see you. Stop going in and out of the hospital. I have you on my, on my prayer for today, so I'm good to, it's good to see you. But my friends, uh, uh, one of the arguments lodged against Christians, one of that you got, we're, there, we're idiots because we believe in heaven. <laughs> How do you live every day in this world without something more? You know, but um, they don't want to believe in God because they're suffering. So my homily attempted to speak to that to you so that you understand. Um, I don't know if I've achieved it. It was a very long homily, <laughs> for sure. Friends, uh, let us pray uh, for each other. And one of the things uh, about Thomas, his his pain and his suffering caused doubt, and his doubt uh, called him to question God, and he left. It was when he returned to uh, the apostles, when he returned to the church, that his faith was strengthening. Uh, St. Paul deals with this in Hebrews. Uh, the, that community, uh, they were fighting, and people were beginning to leave, and as they left, the doubt within their hearts grew stronger and stronger. He called them back together, and uh, um, one final thing, when Jesus says peace to you, the word he uses is shalom. And shalom has a deeper meaning than just peace. It actually means, has this concept of unity. So when he said peace be with you, he meant that in his heart, but he, mean, he meant it. Peace, come together. And so for all of you, if you know Christians who have moved away from their church, they need to come back. They need to be with a community of faith to walk. You cannot do this alone. Christ never set up his church for people to be lone wolves off, if you will, but to come together. So pray for those who have walked away, particularly because of hurt, that they'll return and allow the Lord to heal them. My friends, um, uh, we still cannot have the cup, uh, so maybe one day it'll come back. Um, but we are allowed to do certain things. And one of the things we'll bring back today is the little, the little church. And the little church was a way for the children to come forward and to put their tithing into it. Uh, if nothing else, it's fun. <laughs> it gives the moment of fun, and they enjoy that. Uh, so we'll bring that back. And then as the archbishop uh, continues uh, opening more things up, I'll continue to communicate that to you. Uh, going back to uh, the way things normally were. We pray for our brothers and sisters of the Orthodox Church as they celebrate the great Pasch feast uh, today.